encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. All right, good morning, everybody. I want a breakfast taco, but we're going to go ahead and get started anyway. Uh, I'm going to sneak in there and find one at some point, so if I just meander off, then... Somebody has to just hop up here and keep going. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Okay. May have to have a breakfast break. But I do want one of those. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 9. We'll mosey on over to Mark chapter 10, maybe, depending on how it goes. We're still in 9. We've been in 9 for a while. We've been in 9 for a while. We're not in any hurry. Uh, let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll hop in. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, as we open our Bibles, open also our heart, our head, and our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we were talking last week about this little section at the end about, um, well, we spent a lot of time talking about the section where this other exorcist is casting out demons, and the disciples are all like, he can't do that. He's not ordained with the Jesus group. He can't do this. And um, Jesus says, you're right. Go and uh, cancel him and tell him to stop doing that. No, he says, whoever's not against us is for us. What a, for someone who is the way, the truth, and the life, what a very inclusive statement to just include the the work of this man. And his reasoning is, whoever's not against us for us, for truly I say, whoever gives a cup of water to drink um, to bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. So it's not terrible. Um, It's so it's the in-group out-group thing, right? We want to be part of the in-group. We always want to be part of the group that's in, and so we belong. And so in order to belong, we have to make sure we know who doesn't belong, and we have to point to all the others that don't belong. And that's more fun. Yeah, hard boundaries instead of softer boundaries. Yeah. Which I think in a lot of ways, our world doesn't respond to that very well anymore. They don't like those harsh boundaries. Not these times. You know, like used to, people would come to church and it'd be like, they'd come for a week or two and then they would say, talk to the elders and say, we are officially considering membership. Right. And then they would officially place, we don't really do that anymore. They would bring a letter from their yes. they don't. We don't really do that anymore. Even in larger congregations, some still do, but even in larger congregations, they still don't really do that anymore. It's, it's because we don't like that formality and it's, it's, it's part of our culture, right? It's definitely something that we're, with. But that's also a good thing. because I think it's a good thing because rather than focusing on all these, honestly, artificial divisions that divide us, we can say, no, we're still, you know, we're still our group. We're still Church of Christ. But we also, like, appreciate the other groups and we can cooperate with you. It's good. Yeah, we're... It's interesting to me that apparently these people, I guess they were successful. It sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like it. It wasn't a faith thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you will know them. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's just a sheep. Yeah. Okay, but let's 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 qualify that. Let's in qualify that actual that. passage. The is immediately like the wolf in sheep's clothing passage is followed by the passage where the people testify that they did cast out the and Jesus is like, that's not a that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. Not a qualification of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, he does say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. God does them. It doesn't bear on the salvation of the person yeah. who is the front man. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. I think the hope is that they'll be guilty by association. Grace by association. They'll kind of be wormed in eventually, I guess is the hope. I don't know. Um, we also talked about this section about... Um, my, my Bible has the heading, Temptations to Sin. Um, okay. Can I not use this? Is that okay? Yeah. If I push that away? Because I'm not used to using it in class, and I feel like I hear myself because the room is not that full, yeah. and it's really kind of like tripping me out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of making me weird. Um, we talked about this section, Temptations to Sin, and it's this thing about if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it'd be better for you. So we talked about how... Um, this whole thing has to do also the, the whole thing about whoever's greatest that came earlier where he places a child among them and says whoever wants to be the greatest must be the least, like this child. And then we have the thing about whoever's not against us for us. Now we have the temptation to sin. Notice the children on either side. So little ones, children on either side, another sandwich. Love those sandwiches in Mark. Um, but also I want to say this. Um, we, we talked about with the thing on it, it must be like this child and how there is sometimes a tendency to paint the ancient world as if they just despised children and treated them awful like slaves. And that's just not accurate historically. We talked about this. But, however, but, however, now we come to this passage. There is precedent in the Greek world and somewhat in the Roman world, though not at all in the Jewish world, almost not at all in the Jewish world, there is precedent for sexual abuse of children in the ancient world. This happened, and it really wasn't considered like, well, like it happens today, of course, but today it's like, it's one of the worst things you can do, whereas in the Greek world, it was actually viewed as a positive thing by their culture. Roman world, it was a little bit more ambiguous. In Judea, in the Jews, it was hardly, it was harshly not, and they railed against the Greeks and the Romans for this, um, rightly so, I would say. But I think that that's partly the context here, too. That they're, they're saying by what you think you're doing a positive thing, you're actually harming the children. Um, psychology has borne that out to be true. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but I think that's part of the, the context here. So I think, uh, to clarify, I think that whenever it says little ones and children here, I think it is A, on the one hand, actually little children. And B, I also think it's just believers. Because like if you read First John, he keeps calling them little children. And he's talking to everybody. He does specifically refer to little children at one point, and he's probably referring to little children, but that's whenever he says to fathers, to mothers, to children. So it seems clear there he's talking about children, but then throughout the rest of 1 John, he just keeps saying little children love one another. Little children love one another. And he's talking to all of us, right, because we're all the children of God. And so I think it's both here. I think he is referring to literal children. I think he's also referring to just the people of God. And so don't put a stumbling block in front of your fellows. Yeah, chapter 9, uh, section of 42 through 50. Yeah. Says, on the other hand, if you give one of these simple childlike believers mm-hmm. a hard time, um, so that indicates more of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the maturity of the Christians. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just going to become a beginning Christian because you've just found out about this. So, yeah. Not necessarily child, but childlike. Yes. Childlike They've just started on this journey. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fragile thing at this stage. 
There used to be an obsession with like, in our churches, it's dunk them and leave them. In other churches, it's accept Jesus into your heart and then leave them, whatever. But it's the idea that let's just get them saved and then let's move on. It's like, well, that's putting a stumbling block in front of them. Now they're children. They just came out of the womb yesterday. What are you going to do with them? Just going to leave them to fend for themselves? But they're new believers and they have that, that freshness of life. And that's an important stage to be discipled through. Um, don't put a stumbling block in front of those who believe in me. Be better off if you just tied a great millstone around your neck and threw yourself into the sea. Oh, Jesus. Always potent with those metaphors, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's not really a metaphor. It's a literal statement. It's a pretty literal statement, yeah. Like, it would be better for you to kill yourself than do that if we're, if we're laying out the score here. Yeah, it's, it's potent. And then the thing about if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Uh, we're familiar with hearing that from Matthew's Sermon on the Mount when he says, he's talking about lust. Here he's talking about if it would, if doing something would cause your brother to stumble, it'd be better to chop off your hand than to do that. Um, or gouge out your eye than to cause your brother to stumble. Um, to be thrown into Gehenna. Oh, let's talk about hell. That's always fun. Uh, so... It really irks me personally that our Bibles translate the word hell as hell because hell is not a word in Greek. It's Gehenna. Have you heard of Gehenna? Gehenna is actually a valley um, off to the side of Jerusalem. It's the trash dump. It's where they threw the trash and it's where they would burn the trash. So it's actually a really potent metaphor. But I'm afraid that whenever we use the word hell, we think more of Dante's Inferno than we do like the Bible which just concerns me a lot because I think that our images of hell have been painted more from Dante's Inferno than from scripture. Um, Cause it does say stuff about like where the worm never dies. But of course, if you're talking about Gehenna and not what we think of as capital H hell, the worm never dies out in the trash dump. Right now. I mean, don't hear me like dismissing the idea of hell, but I'm just saying, I think it's important that we keep that metaphor alive because um, there's also a place in, I believe it's second Peter where it's translated hell, but it's actually the word Tartarus, which is, of course, the Greek concept of Tartarus, which is, again, a metaphor. It's a metaphor. He's using a metaphor there, saying that hell is like Tartarus. He's making a comparison. Um, what, what do you think it means that the worms that eat them do not die? Yeah. Well... I don't think it's a literal worm. <laughs> I, I, I don't like it whenever people paint this image of like a literal worm eating into your soul for eternity. I just, I don't really think that's the point. I think it's this idea of punishment and suffering. Um, especially in this sense, it'd be just because you caused a little one to stumble. Because you caused a little one to stumble. I think also there's kind of a, um, <laughs> whenever you're talking smack, right? And you say, that argument is trash. That's, that's like something you might say. That argument is, oh, that, you're trash. That's kind of what Jesus is saying there. You're, you're Gehenna. You're going to Gehenna. Out to the trash dump. This is that level of quality right now. It's the trash dump. And so you might think of hell as the trash dump of eternity. <laughs> it's like this, this um, the expulsed. Yeah, and have you ever been to a trash dump? Yeah. It's awful. Can you imagine that plus... On fire. Yeah. I've been to one in the heat before. I can't imagine actually on fire. <laughs> I see you. Hold on. Yeah, Orin. Uh, actually, that's uh, very similar to the last verse in Isaiah. Mm. Uh, he says, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. 
the worms that eat them will not die. Yeah. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Yeah. It's just like rotting. That's really what it is. Like, you know, dead things, things like worms eat on dead things. And so it's the idea that it's dead and it's forever dead. And so if the worm never dies, you're eternally dying. You're eternally rotting. So just as I think salvation is actually an eternal uh, becoming, an eternal, um, if you can use the word, you're evolving to glory, maybe, from one degree of glory to another, maybe. Whereas you're devolving the other direction. I, I don't, uh, my main hang up is this. Here's where I'm really coming from. My main hang up is this. I hate whenever we talk about it as this and this. It's one way or the other way, and then you go there, and then it's the same state forever. I really don't think that's the biblical picture. I think it's this eternal, um, you'll become everything God always envisions you to be in the new creation. The fullness of the image of God that you were created in. All the hindrances that have up to now hindered you will be removed. And just as in the same way, you'll devolve forever in the other direction. Does that make sense? I, I, just, I think it's important rather than a, we're just going to be fat spiritual babies singing with harps for eternity. I just, I don't really think that's really the image that's... You know, it kind of, you've heard people say, well, you know, what's heaven going to be like? Am I just going to float around on the cloud all day and sing? No. You know, no, there's, I think God always has purpose. Yeah. There's, so I don't know what that is. Yeah. So don't It's mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's always work for us to do. They worked in the garden before the fall. Work became painful after the fall, but they worked in the garden before the fall. They were put in the garden to till it and to keep it. Yeah. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. Yes. Nobody knows. I do think it's also important when it comes to the, well, I just float around on clouds. No, you'll have a resurrection body. At when you die, do you go to heaven? Yes, insofar as heaven is where God is. But that's not your final destination. Your final destination is new heavens, new earth. You'll be given a resurrection body like Jesus. That's why scripture uses the metaphor that whenever you die, you're sleeping. Not all will die, but all will sleep. You're not, you're not really dead. <laughs> you're just sleeping until you wake back up to new creation. That's the ultimate goal. And I fear that we, we stop there. It's like heaven, disembodied. No, you're going to be re-embodied brilliantly, beautifully, like Jesus. Jesus had a resurrection body. We're given a resurrection body like Jesus. And a, it, there's a tangibility to it. It's spiritual. It's more spiritual than it is now. It's also more tangible than it is now. It's uh, back to Eden, where heaven and earth were perfectly one. That's what it is. New heavens, new earth. You see this in Revelation. What were you going to say, Linda? I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah. Lose it so they use yeah. the word so loosely. Yeah. But if it, if they were in a trash heap, well, that might, I mean that might apply. But if they're eternally in torment, yeah. You know, it's just it's one of those words that has become like I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. You know, or it's cliche. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a cliche. It's, it's pretty serious. It's a serious word. Hell. Yeah. Yes. I think we also need to not forget the purgative aspect. So I don't know that I believe in purgatory, but I think life is purgative. It purges us. There's a purgative aspect, right? And that includes fire. 
the fire purifies. Like if you read Second Peter 3, um, it talks about the earth will be refined by fire, which some people used to say, well, the world's just going to be burned and destroyed. Yeah, keep reading. It's a refiner's fire. New creation is what it talks about. I think that happens for us as individuals as well. In, in what verse? Yeah. That's how it translates verse 49. Oh, Eugene Peterson. I knew I loved that guy. Yeah. Mm. So to keep it salty with the salt image, it's like rather than just being burned, like um, rather than being burned, it's going to be cooked into a brilliant and beautiful meal, reaching its full potential. That's what happens to us in the fire. It doesn't burn us. It cooks us and makes us better. Ooh, that'll preach. Maybe I could like do a sermon where I have, I'm actually literally cooking and then you start smelling it. Oh, that'd be, that'd be good. I get a lot of great sermon ideas out of this Bible class. Ma'am. Yeah. in various places and they went out every day and gathered what they could to out of the trash heap to, yep. to live. Yep. And it was, um, there are places in the world where that still very much happens. Yeah. yeah. So they talked about the ashes and the smoke and the yeah. nails. Yeah. I've seen them in the third world countries in the Philippines. It's sad. That is hell. I don't think I'm being cliche when I say that. That's rather hellish. Yeah. It's very hellish. Well, uh, let's stop talking about hell because I think it gets too much screen time anyway. Um, heaven is the real story. Uh, but let's move on to an, a less touchy topic, divorce. Oh, yeah. So Mark chapter 10. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, uh, first 10 verses, or 12 verses, I think. He left that place, Jesus left that place, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, And crowds again gathered around him, and as was his custom, he again taught them. And as his customary and Mark, we're not told what he taught them. Which is so frustrating. (laughs) We don't get like a Sermon on the Mount in Mark's Gospel. He just says, and he taught them. We're like, great, what did he teach them? And Mark's like, doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm moving on. Um, Verse 2, some Pharisees came out, and to test him they asked, well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? (sighs) He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, well, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house of the disciples... Uh, The disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right. (sighs) couple things. First thing, we never weaponize Scripture. (laughs) Period. If you weaponize Scripture, you're using it wrong. If you use it to, like, lob stones at another person, you're using it wrong. So... I, I really, really don't like whenever I hear, you know, the divorce passages lobbed at people who I think are, 
are in a really tough situation and I, I would say are not really dealing with the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. So that brings me to the second thing. There's a conversation going on and you got to be let in on the conversation. So there's already a debate going on amongst the rabbis about this. And you can read some of these rabbinical documents like the Talmud and some of these other things that the rabbis wrote. They had a heyday debating at what point you could divorce your wife. Because it's the age-old thing in the law, right? Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Great. What in the world does that mean, though? Right? 5,000 steps, 5,003 steps, 5,004 steps. You know, can I eat food on the Sabbath? Yes, but so long as you didn't prepare it. Well, is putting it in the microwave preparing it, right? You know, there's all these debates, okay? And it's the same for divorce. There's seriously passages, and, and I'll exaggerate it a little bit to make the point, but that are seriously along the lines of, well, if your wife burns your toast three-fourths of the way, can you divorce her? Or does it have to be all the way burnt for you to divorce her? Well, Rabbi so-and-so says it only has to be three-fourths of the way burnt, and then you can divorce her. Rabbi so-and-so says it has to be all the way burnt. It's that kind of manipulative um, loophole. I would call it loophole mentality. They're looking for the what can I get away with and why. That's the mentality. This is the debate that Jesus is speaking into. He's not speaking into some of the abusive situations that occur out there. I think those are different. So like as a minister, it's hard because I'm like, I proclaim truth, right? Thou shalt not get a divorce. I'm like, yeah, I believe in marriage. Marriage is good. But yet if you're being abused, come live with me. We're going to go to the courthouse tomorrow and you're going to get out of that situation. You're going to divorce that man. I don't feel qualms about that personally because I, I think Jesus wouldn't either. So the debate here that's going on is about, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They say, is it lawful? But really they're letting him in. At what point is it lawful? This is the question under the question. At what point is it really? What can I get away with is the question. The loophole mentality. And then he answers them, well, what did Moses commit? Notice he doesn't say, what did the rabbis articulate? See, that's the distinction there. Well, what did Moses say? And they say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. I think they're baiting him. Oh, oh, but then what does that mean? How far does that go? At what point can we write the certificate of divorce? Go ahead, tell us. What are the, what are the details? And Jesus isn't going to play their game, but Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote the commandment for you. For you, for the people he's talking to. He wrote this commandment for you. Um, it's because of your hardness of heart. Right to the heart of the matter, literally. And in their hard hearts. Um, verse six, but from the beginning of creation, God made man, made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father. So then he goes into this other thing about marriage in general. So in other words, he's not asking, Jesus isn't answering the question about divorce. He's answering the question about marriage, which to him is a more important question to answer. So he's like, you're getting, you're, you're, you're playing this. What can I get away with game? I'm saying, what's the heart of the matter here? What was really the intention in the beginning? It's not, well, I'm dissatisfied with this woman who burnt my toast. It's, we're together forever. We've been bound together. And uh, Linda knows how I feel about this, but I would say for eternity, actually. I don't actually think that you just stop knowing your spouse on the other side of eternity. I don't think that's biblical. But you can quote the passage to me, I know, and I'll debate you about it. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we've read that passage well. Yeah. That I need to sit on the back row. Yep. You know, you're not really a full Christian anymore because of this. And um, I hate that. 
So, and, and in the message, it says... I love that you're on the front row now, by the way. That's very symbolic. That's very, that's very symbolic for me. Like, I just don't want to let that symbolism go. Okay, sorry, go ahead. A man who divorces his wife so that he can marry someone else commits adultery against her. And a woman who divorces her husband for, so that she can marry someone else commits adultery. And so I can see that aspect of it, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're lusting about this person, you're in this relationship, but you just want to get rid of this person so you can go over here. Mm-hmm. So I can see that as a problem. Um, yeah. In my you know, moral problem, but, you know, I, I, you know in yeah. that situation where I was in, I felt like you people don't know what the shoes I've walked in. Yes. And don't know what the situation yes. that I needed to be out of. Yes. Yes. So, um, that loved and respected yeah. you and treated you as you deserved. So, yes. Well, so my mother had my oldest brother out of wedlock, and then my dad had been previously married. They divorced, and then they got married, and then they had my sister and I. So my mother has dealt with this her whole life. She has always felt like that back row person. And it pains me because I say, you look at my mother and father who made some really stupid mistakes early on. They did. They made some stupid mistakes. They'll be the first to tell you that. But you look at the way God has redeemed that and the way that Dustin, my older brother, his dad, I won't use the words that I really want to use for him because <laughs> I'm a preacher in church or whatever, but he was not a father to him. He abandoned him and left him on his own, whereas my dad, who wasn't his biological father, loved him and cared for him as his own. I don't see that as ugly. I see that as beautiful. And then he had... Emily and I, my sister and I, and he loved us and he raised us. And yeah, they were divorced and they were broken, but out of something broken, God made something really beautiful and good. And so I I just, it's this God meets you where you are. And I think people want to hold us responsible for the past a lot more than God does. God is future oriented. You know, in Hebrew, the, the statement, I am, there's really no present tense in Hebrew, technically speaking. It's really future. I will be who I will be. We put it in present tense because that makes more sense to our minds. But there's no such thing as present tense in Hebrew. Te- like, it's implied that you can have present tense, right? You have to have an ability to speak of what's happening right this second. But in Hebrew, it's I, am, I will be who I will be because God is future oriented. He's creating all things new. So even out of the brokenness, he says, that's fine. We'll make it better in the end. And he pushes forward. Serve a future oriented God. Go ahead, Orin. We uh, fought that battle on the grounds of elders and deacons. I bet. You know, who can be an elder if it says husband of one wife? Well, what does that mean? Yeah. If, if does that mean not divorced? Does that mean polygamy? Does that mean, yeah. Is really just the husband of one wife? I always wonder what Mormons do with that. You know, if, uh, something else happens and God yeah. Yeah. Is, well, I, can, I can tell you what it is. Is that disqualifying you? Know? It's, it's the guy that has only been married with one woman and never divorced, and his wife can't die. <laughs> <laughs> Immortal. <laughs> you can talk about weaponizing. weaponizing it's weaponizing uh, scripture. Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, I, uh, last Thursday we talked a little bit about the qualifications of elders and deacons, and I asked a question. How many of you have studied this before? And a few guys raised their hand. I said, then, when did you study it? Oh, when we were doing deacons, when we were selected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the comments was, we should be doing that all the time so that we're not all of a sudden an emergency getting, mm. you know, we have, we have to take these elders in four weeks, so we got to do four lessons, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> my comment was that every man, every man that, that believes in Jesus Christ should um, uh, attempt to be like these men that they're talking about in the, in the yeah. scripture. And I said, none of us are ever going to do that. And some of us are going to be elders. But we should still be striving towards that. Mm. And it's it's a, it's interesting because it's it's only taught when you're actually doing it. So it's, it's the rest like, of the time it's like it's irrelevant. Right. But then now we need it, so let's do it real quick. Then but then we done, rush through it to get it done. Yeah. And then it's weaponized. I see. Um, because you'll have you'll have a congregation of 300 people, and someone is going to go up there and say, well. His wife died, and, and now he's married to someone else. I would not have him as an elder. <sighs> yeah. No, I know. I know. I've, I've seen it. I think that's so obnoxious. What'd you say? Well, that's different. There was the insurance money. I've watched enough detective shows to know. What were you going to say, Linda? Uh, well, and so uh, sometimes people assume that this is committing uh, adultery, that that's a just sexual thing, but there's all kinds of oh, people yeah. breaking their vows. Sure. Mental, adultery, you betcha. Uh, emotional abuse, you betcha. So. Our definition, our standard of what constitutes adultery, or even divorce, right. for that matter, is really pretty low. Mm-hmm. We think it's high because we, we push the, the literal verbatim, I have a certificate which says I am divorced, or I do not. But it's a piece of paper. <laughs> you tell me the piece of paper signifies that much? What's in your heart? I've known people who've been married for a long time, and I'm like, you're not really that married, are you? <laughs> and then on the opposite side of that, I've seen people who were never technically married with a piece of paper, but I'm like, I don't know. They look awfully more married than a lot of people I've known in the church. And I don't say that to make anybody uncomfortable. Just an observation. I still, I still wish they'd get the piece of paper, personally. But a little old-fashioned that way. Yeah, um, I, again, I think it comes back to the don't weaponize scripture, right? So whenever we're in the, the mindset of like, how about this? You can weaponize it against yourself if the Spirit's convicting you, but you don't do it to others. So if you personally feel convicted, then maybe the Spirit's talking to you on that. Great. Good. I'm not going to diminish that. I'm not going to tell you no. But to throw that at somebody else, that's usually me being self-righteous. Nine times out of ten. Is there perhaps a circumstance when it's not? Perhaps. I'll see it. You know, like 1 Corinthians, if, you know, if this dude is openly sleeping with his mother-in-law and we're just acting like that's all fine and good, you know, that, that seems like a good time for rebuke, personally. <laughs> I'm pretty inclusive, but that just seems like a time to, you know, whip out the, the judgments there. But uh, the vast majority of the time, I think it's me trying to be self-righteous and protect myself because I don't want you to see my sin. I don't want you to see the darkness that's in my heart. And so I throw it at you in order to deflect it from me. Oh yeah, well they're all screwed up and I'm perfect. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of us have, have a knack of being able to hide that. Mm. Oh yeah. For, for years I did that in our marriage. Mm. Uh, stand up and people would say, wow, that's a great lesson. Whatever. And they go home. You mean to my wife. And, and it took me many, many years to 
We're obsessed with appearances. Yeah. Some of us are real good at hiding our faults. Yeah. And hiding behind scripture. Yes, or hiding behind Facebook. First day of kindergarten, I'm like, that's great. You're never there for them. That's great. Great picture. Looks good. Cute little outfit. It's a little harsh, but that, I mean, to me, it's just like, that's, you know, the Instagram and Facebook culture. Let's post a picture. Does it look good? That's like, at least then you had to like summon the wherewithal to stand up front versus just posting a picture. You can stage it in a few minutes and then post it and be done. I mean, it's like the the stereotypical, you pull up to the church building, (laughs) everybody's on edge and fighting with each other. And then we're like, all right, put on our church faces, people, let's do this. <laughs> um, I mean, there's something to be said for not bringing all of your stuff all the time to church. I get that. But but also, are we a place that would be welcoming of that if and when it is there? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really vulnerable. And so it's really powerful. Yeah. I love that. It's something I've never thought I would Share like that, you mean? I love that. Um, Billy Holmes was bragging on you yesterday. I was helping. I was helping with the I am jam last night. Billy Holmes was bragging on you. He said that Alex, he's a good guy. I really like him. He teaches on Thursdays and he does a really good job. He's bragging on you. Steve was bragging on him too. He said Alex's lesson was outstanding on Thursday night. You've done some heart deep work. I have. It shows. Don't we all? But you know, as, as an advertisement, process. part of the process I'm going through, uh, the Tuesday night men's group, the Thursday night men's group are really, really good. Because we talk about stuff that, you know, you don't normally talk about in classes on Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, stuff you can't talk about in class on Sunday morning. Yeah. I encourage you guys to go again. Those hog dudes. They're a rough crowd, man. I like them. I feel like I could. I feel like I could always be myself with them. Love those guys. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Don't weaponize scripture. <laughs> Don't judge another person. We're all struggling and trying to make it our way, right? Um. Interesting. Um. Let's go ahead and end there. It's about. A few minutes early, but I want to grab a breakfast taco. (laughs) Let me pray, and let's be done. Oh, yeah, go right ahead, Linda. Back in the old days, uh, when I was a kid in the Church of Christ, if someone was divorced, and the person they divorced married someone else, one time we were told that that person should... Divorce that person and go back. And our (laughs) minister's wife... Our, the minister and his wife at the time said, you know, that's, that's creating a sin. Yes. God never, ever tried, wants us to make up for one sin by committing another. I don't understand why they say that with such confidence. I'm like, have you, I've never seen that in scripture. <laughs> it's like, they just say that with such gusto. And I'm like, I don't understand. Oh, of course not. Well, of course not. But they're looking at internet porn, but it's fine. Oh, yeah. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread or breakfast taco as it may be. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.